0: Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. We are continuing our series, going through uh, hope together. We've been doing this for a couple months now. Living in a hopeless age in an anxious age, we as a church are coming together and meditating on the hope that we have in Jesus. Amen. I gotta warn you this morning. If you are gluten free, if you are ketogenic, this is not a friendly sermon for you. This is a sermon filled with bread. And children, please come. Come. You can go to the back. Please, for children's church, pre-K through third grade, meet in the back. But this is a bread-filled sermon. If you're gluten-free, if you're a ketogenic, this is not for you. I'm sorry. Sorry, Danielle. Sorry, Emma. Sorry, Joel. I'm just kidding. Jesus still loves you. But turn with me, if you will, to John 6. John 6. We're going to be starting in verse 22. Jesus, the bread of life. I'll read for us, and then I'll pray, and then we will dive right in. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, They themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate the fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. And so they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we come before you today hungry, desperately hungry, and you alone have the words of eternal life. Who else can we go to, Lord? Please reveal to us, satisfy us, encourage us, convict us, Lord, through your word. In your name that we pray. Amen. I want you to take a moment and think to yourself, what is the best meal that you have ever eaten? Take a moment. I know it's it's dangerous, right, as you're preaching before lunch, but I want you to (laughs) think on your favorite meal, like that scene in Ratatouille, when the food critic at the end eats the Ratatouille and he remembers his childhood and nostalgia hits him over. What is the best meal you've ever eaten? What was the smell? What was the taste? Who were you with? For me, I always think, to someone gave us generously a gift card to Global Grill, a restaurant here in Pensacola. We would never go to there on our own without a gift card. So there's a, there's a part of the menu that we see that we wouldn't even look at. And so someone gave us a gift card that kind of encouraged us to just get whatever you usually wouldn't get, you know, get the one thing you've always wanted. And so we saved that gift card for probably like six months and waited until our anniversary and we went. We got there, and we sat down, and the waiter comes, and he tells you all the amazing specials. And he gets to one special. It doesn't even have a price. It's just market, right? <laughs> and so he says, there's this steak. It's the best steak in the world. It's a Wagyu steak. It's, it comes from Japan, I believe, you know, and it's known for its marbleizing. And you cut it, and you put it in your mouth, and it just melts in your mouth. And so we decided, hey, this is the one time. So we order the Wagyu steak and we split this giant, I mean, it was huge. We cut it in half. We had more than enough that we could both eat. And we're just sitting there, you know, it's our anniversary, so we're celebrating. And you just take a cut of the the amazing, juicy steak that smells amazing. And he's like telling us all about the Worcestershire sauce that has like, you know, 100 ingredients that they make there. And take a bite and you take it in, and it's just amazing and glorious and wonderful. And here's the thing you know what happened the next day? I was hungry again. (laughs) Can you believe it? I just ate the best thing ever, and I'm hungry again. The best meal of my life, and yet the next morning I still need breakfast. And Jesus this morning is speaking to a crowd that had just had the best meal of their life. The most miraculous meal of their life. One of the most memorable meals they will ever have eaten. For if you remember, a crowd of 5,000 people had gone to Jesus, And Jesus had fed them all, not from a run to Costco, but from where? Five loaves and two fish. And there was more than enough. There was baskets filled afterwards. But here's the problem. The people are hungry again. When we get hungry, what do we do? We get hangry. (laughs) We throw a tantrum. When Wilson gets hungry, he throws a tantrum. He gets really upset at us, and he cries, and he frowns, and he yells, and then we give him food, and then he's happy. But these people are hangry, and they are coming to Jesus in that hangry anger, wanting to be fed again. But Jesus knows something. He knows that there is a hunger deeper than their physical hunger. There is something more. You see, it is not only our stomachs that ache when we are hungry, but our hearts You see, our hearts are a hunger abyss. We are perpetually hungry, and we're trying to fill ourselves with bread that spoils. This is what author James K. Smith says, The heart's hunger is infinite, which is why it will ultimately be disappointed with anything merely finite. Humans are those strange creatures who can never be fully satisfied by anything created, though that never stops us from trying. And try, we do, do we not? We go to success, we go to our GPA, we go to our job, our work, getting a promotion, acquiring that new thing. We try and we try and we try, but it all isn't enough. But here's the good news. Jesus this morning is giving us an answer to that ache. He's giving us an answer. And look how we'll respond today. If you're following along, he will first show us, he will make us see our hunger, Second, we will recognize that He is the bread. And finally, we will eat. That's the best part, right? See our hunger, recognize that He is the bread, and eat. So, first, look with me as Jesus calls us to see our hunger. Look with me at verse 22 again. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near that place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boat and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. We see a crowd here that is searching. They are frantic. They had just witnessed a miracle, as I said, and they had been miraculously fed. But the thing is, you know what? Jesus moved on. You know, He hadn't opened up a restaurant there like they had wanted. It was like he was a food truck. He had moved locations, but he didn't tell anyone. He didn't post it on social media. Jesus, where are you? I'm hungry. So in verse 25, they ask him, Jesus, when did you come here? And also, when are you opening up the kitchen? When are you starting to cook? As one author said, they were moved not by full hearts, but by full bellies. They liked the idea of a fish maker and a bread maker, someone who could satisfy their physical longings. And Jesus had loved them very tangibly, had they not? They were very hungry. There was no place to go get food. 5,000 people in the middle of Israel. Where are you going to get all that food? And Jesus saw them and he loved them and he provided food for them. But now he's going to love them even more because he's going to reveal to them that there's a hunger deeper than their physical hunger. Look at verses 26 and 27. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. They are seeking him because they ate their fill. They are hungry, but are trying to fill themselves with a bread that spoils as Jesus says the bread that perishes and later Jesus is going to tell them openly that this will never satisfy them even miraculous meals do not satisfy look further down at verse 49 he's going to reference back to an event that all of people of Israel would remember he says your father ate the manna your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died a reference back to when god provided for his people and they ate that amazing manna and yet still they died. Even though they ate that miraculous meal, they were all going to die one day. And Jesus is showing them and us that we are hungry and the bread that we so often run after spoils. It doesn't last and it doesn't satisfy. Because we have an eternal hunger. And as Americans, few of us really know what deep, deep hunger is like. Not many of us have gone a full day without eating anything. Maybe some of you, if you're fasting, very few of us know what the rest of the world knows like when it comes to deep hunger. But yet, if you look at our culture, if you look at our world, you see a deep eternal hunger everywhere, do we not? We see people running and hungering for success, hungering for things, students hungering for GPA. We're all hungering to keep up with our neighbors, to keep up with the Joneses. We are always Hungry and nothing is ever enough. Recently, my brother has roped me into training for a marathon with him, and it has been an event, I'll tell you. I get back from my morning runs, I usually do them on uh, my long runs on a Monday, and I'm, I've am i never eaten breakfast. I'm not a breakfast person. But when I get back from my long run, my body is screaming at me. I am so hangry, like hungry hippo level of wanting to eat everything <laughs> nearby, because I'm trying to get calories to refuel in some way. But I, I just... Can't stop eating to replenish what I've just burned. And the thing is, our hearts are even hungrier than that feeling, which is crazy. Maybe some of you have seen an interview that Tom Brady once did with 60 Minutes. It was back when there was a young Tom, young Tom Brady back in 2005, right after he had won his third Super Bowl ring. But the thing about this interview is that he was very candid that even on the top, on the mountaintop of his career, after winning his third Super Bowl, when most people would think, you know, he's made it. This is what he said about being in that place. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think that there is something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I have reached my goal, my dream. And I think, God, there's got to be more than this. And then the interviewer asks him really pointedly in response. He says, what is the answer? And notice Tom Brady's response. I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I love playing football, I love playing quarterback, but at the same time I think there are other parts about me that I am trying to find. And if you look at Tom Brady's career, what is he still doing? He's still trying to win Super Bowls. For him, the best Super Bowl is always the next one. And so he retires for not even a full year, right, and comes back and is again trying to win another Super Bowl. Nothing is ever enough. That is a deep eternal hunger. And Jesus here is pointing to people, pointing these people to the hunger below their physical hunger. So, what are you hungry for? What is driving you? What is motivating you? And what are you doing with your hunger? I heard one pastor say that when we have those hunger pains, those deep heart hunger pains, that often our first response is to numb those hunger pains, to go underground, to go to our secret addictions, to numb our pain. Where do you take your hunger? What do you do with your hunger? Here's the good news. Jesus doesn't leave us alone with our hunger, and he provides us with an answer. He calls us to see and recognize that he is the bread. Look back at our text, look at verse 30 with me. So they said to him, He's calling the people back to Exodus 16 here, reminding them of when God provided for his people and sustained them through the manna from heaven. Remember how desperate the people were in this moment. They were grumbling. They were hungry. They were wishing in some ways that they could go back to Egypt, to go back to slavery. They wanted to have food. And what did God do? He provided for them. The people would gather up the bread in the morning and have enough for the night. And he did this and sustained them for over 40 years. And so what is this crowd asking Jesus now in this moment? They're asking Jesus, Hey, Jesus, do a miracle like what we saw with Moses back then. Provide for us for 40 years. Maybe even top it. Show us a miracle greater than Moses. And how does Jesus respond? First, he tells them that it wasn't Moses who provided the food, but it was the Lord and that that sign was pointing to something, and Jesus tells us who that sign is in verse 33. It was him, the bread of life. These people are hungering for bread from heaven, for bread that gives life, for eternal bread. And in this moment, Jesus has them right where he wants them. They are hungering for something greater, and he's going to tell them, they are desperate, they are hungry, and they are beginning to understand the impossibility of their hunger. The impossibility of their hunger. And notice verse 35, this amazing verse that we have. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am bread. I am bread. Do you have an impossible hunger? Is there something inside of you that is clawing out for relief? I am bread. Do you have a hunger so deep that you cannot fill it? I am bread. He is giving them here the first of the seven I am statements. He is claiming to be divine here, if you remember, when God revealed himself to Moses, the great I am. That is what Jesus is referencing to here. He is divine. He is God, the Son of God. And He is eternal bread for an eternal hunger. He is saying, I will satisfy the deepest hungers inside of you. Bring your need to me. Bring your most needy spaces of your soul to me. The parts of you that are clawing out for relief. Bring me your places of shame, your places of hurt, your places of pain, that deep ache within you, and I will satisfy you. I am bread. This is such a simple truth, and yet I think it's really easy for us to just rush right past it or to overcomplicate it. And it makes me think of a lesson that I did in elementary school, and maybe some of your teachers got you with this one too. But usually how it starts is the teacher hands out a worksheet to everybody, and it's a list of tasks, and you only have a certain amount of time to complete them. And of course, the first task is always take a second, read all the tasks you need to do before you get started on the worksheet. And so what do I do as someone who's competitive and wants to, you know, I always want to check off things, so I, of course, skip the first step, obviously, go straight to step two, start running down the worksheet. And so as you're going down this worksheet, you know, usually around, like, number 10, it invites you to kind of stand up and shout to the class, I'm the first one here, I'm a good leader. And then you keep going down, and then it might have you like, stand up on your desk, or you know, something ridiculous to kind of embarrass you in front of all your friends. And so as you're going, you begin to notice that all the smart kids, smart kids in your class haven't really made it that far. And you're like, what? Usually I'm always neck and neck with these people. And then you, know, you keep going, and you look over at them, and they're beginning to start laughing at you. And you're like, what is going on? And finally you read the last step, which tells you to disregard all the tasks above you and to just sit quietly and pretend that you are working. And I fell for that one as hard as you could fall for that one. Maybe you've done it too. Maybe I'm not alone in that one. Of course, that's trying to teach you to read directions right before you get started, to listen to directions, which I obviously was not doing. And I rushed right past the whole lesson and completely fell for it. But I think for us, it's really tempting for us to rush right past this this truth and miss what Jesus is saying. Jesus is bread. Bread. Have you embraced the impossibility of your hunger? That deep ache inside of you? That nothing will ever fill that? Jesus is bread. If you read the Gospels, what you'll notice, the sick, the lowly, the desperate, the children, they understood this truth deeply, did they not? What did they do? They ran to Jesus. All they wanted to do was just get a touch, a piece of bread, Jesus, I am desperate. I have nothing. Give me bread. Yet we miss this. In our Christian life, we never level up past this truth. We never move past our complete desperate need for bread. Jesus is our bread yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And yet so often we reach for things that aren't him. I went to a conference of pastors and the speaker was talking about this text and he said that even pastors are tempted to treat ministry as bread. That for us, doing things for Jesus, having Jesus work through us, is bread and even that is bread that spoils. The only thing that is bread is Jesus and we can miss him so easily. Everything else we can try and treat as the bread of life. Jesus is what satisfies. A deep, personal relationship with him. So Jesus has shown us our hunger. He has revealed to us that he is the bread of life. So what do you do with bread? What do you do with bread? You eat it. Unless you're ketogenic or you're on a gluten-free diet. But you know, it's like the kind of bread that you can eat, okay? You eat the bread. You eat the bread, Joel. (laughs) What do you do with bread? You eat the bread that satisfies. Skip down to verse 53 with me, if you will. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus here is speaking in physical terms, but of spiritual realities. And some of the people in the crowds actually, they kind of miss this completely. And you can look down, if you will, Look down and you'll see that a lot of them will go on and leave and will no longer be disciples in verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They missed what Jesus was saying here. Obviously, he is not saying anything about cannibalism here. He's speaking in spiritual realities. He's not telling them to literally eat his flesh. Instead, he is calling them to a deep partaking of him. He is calling them to believe, to abide, to be united with him. He says, I see your hunger. Come and eat. Come and receive receive the answer to that deep ache in your heart. Believe in me and receive life. Receive my atoning death. Receive the forgiveness of your sins. Be united with me and have your sins cast into the sea as far as the east is from the west. Be washed clean. Be free. One commentator put it this way, believing is staking your life on the fact that the only way to live is to receive him. It's placing all your hope on him to sustain you. It's a deep sense that you will die without him. It's placing all your confidence in him as the only one who can give you life and strength and a future. And the best part of eating the bread of life is that there's no bill. All you have to do is receive it. All you have to do is receive it. Bring your hunger to the bread of life and there's nothing else you can add to it. No further steps. It's shockingly simple. And notice, even the crowds here missed his simplicity. Turn back to verse 28. Notice how they missed this. When Jesus told them, that, what was their first response in verse 28? Then they said to him, what must we do? to be doing the works of God. What labor must we do? Certainly, we must, Lord, certainly, Jesus, we must sufficiently feel bad first before we can receive the the bread, Lord. We must first add our religious rules before we can receive something like this, Lord. We must perform. This gift is too great. We must add something first to receive it. And Jesus instead responds, this is the work of God Believe in him who he has sent. As the hymn writer said, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, and he washed it white as snow. What do you bring to the bread of life? Nothing but your hunger. We bring our need, we bring our shame, we bring our sin, and we receive life. Right now, Wilson is in a really fun stage of life. He is at that stage where he's learning words, he's making up his own words. And so one of the words he says a lot to me and Leanne that we we say now because it's funny to copy him, is he runs up to us and he says, knack, knack, knack. And what knack means, of course, is snack. It's just without the S. But so whenever you are eating anything, it is not safe in Wilson's presence. If you are eating a cheese stick or a cracker, Wilson runs up to you and he goes, knack? And how can you say no to a cute face like that? Okay, if you want to eat, you gotta like hide it. You gotta eat and when he's not looking. <laughs> but Jesus, uh, but <laughs> Wilson runs up to you with arms outstretched and says, "Neck," and he is completely dependent on us to feed him. But I love that. It's take that picture. That is us towards Jesus, running up to him, arms outstretched, neck, right? <laughs> and what does Jesus give us? The bread of life. I know it's a silly picture, but it's real. That dependence that Wilson has upon us is the same dependence that we bring to our Savior. Can't even say the word. We are desperately hungry. Please give us the bread of life. We have nothing without you, Jesus. Arms outstretched, and he gives us bread. Are you clinging on to the bread this morning? Have you recognized that apart from Christ we cannot do this on our own? Apart from Christ we are restless and we are hopeless. Have you called out to Jesus asking for salvation and for forgiveness? Is Christ as valuable to you as bread to those that are starving? And where do you find yourself trying to add to the bread of life? Where do you find yourself trying to perform to add to this gift, to try and pay the bill. Jesus is saying to us, come and eat. This is the promise we hear in Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. That is what Christ is offering to us today. Let me close with a story. In 1871, there was a lawyer who lived in Chicago named Horatio Spofford. Horatio was a wealthy man who made his fortune in real estate who was about to go through the trial of his life. Because overnight, his fortune and security was lost during the Great Chicago Fire, but sadly, this was just the beginning of the trial in his life. For a couple of years later, he was invited by Dwight Moody to go and join him on a tour in Europe. And so he was going to go over to Europe, but first he got held back on business, so he sent his daughters and his wife before him. And later he would receive a telegram for his wife, because their, their vessel got hit by a storm. And so this is what the telegram said from his wife. Saved alone, what shall I do? Horatio took the first boat out to go join his grieving wife. And as he was passing over the waters where his daughters had had drowned in the waters, this is the words that he wrote. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. In the darkest moment of Horatio's life, he clung to the bread of life. was the only way that someone could write those words in that moment. Even though he walked through the valley of the shadow of death, Jesus was his bread in that moment. Even though everything had been taken from him, he had peace because he had the bread of life. Let us pray. Jesus, we bring to you today nothing but our hunger. We are desperately hunger, we are desperately hungry, Lord, and we need the bread of life. Satisfy us, Father. In your name we pray. Amen.